For those who are joining us online, uh, please let us know if the sound is okay, that you can hear me, or you can use the chat feature if there's, a, if there's any problem with that. Uh, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for, um, for your goodness, for your grace, for your mercy in our lives. We thank you for your word that's a double-edged sword that pierces soul and spirit. Come now and speak to us by it. Humble our hearts and make us obedient to you in joy and love and faithfulness. In your holy name we pray. Amen. So friends, we've been going through the Psalms of Ascent, and so far we've essentially seen sort of two major movements in the Psalms thus far. The first movement was a turning, a turning away from the ways of the world and a turning towards God. This sort of invitation to join the people of God on their pilgrimage of faith. The second major movement has been this invitation to trust. We saw it first um, expressed in Psalm 125, where we're invited to, to trust that God truly is the firm foundation upon which our lives are to be built. That he really does surround and protect his people like the mountains that surround and protect Jerusalem. In Psalm 26 last week, we were invited to trust that God will provide for our needs, our daily bread, and bring about the hope for future that he's promised us. What I want to suggest is that this week, Psalm 127 invites us to trust that God goes before us, that he works on behalf of his people, and we are not left to tirelessly fend for ourselves. I think that's the invitation of Psalm 127. It's telling us that we do not have to spend our lives eating the bread of anxious toil. Instead, we can trust that God really does work on behalf of his beloved children and from that place find rest for our souls. And the rest that God offers us is sort of like a mean between two extremes. On the one hand, um, I think one extreme could be that you could read verse one as a suggestion that there's nothing that we're supposed to do, that all of our own endeavors are in vain. Therefore, we are to relinquish all responsibility unto God and simply trust that he will take care of everything. So you could potentially read uh, these, the, the verse, verse one as this invitation to passivity. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. God builds, God watches over the city. If we try and do anything, what's the point? It's God who does all the work. So why should we bother in the first place? That would be one extreme. The other extreme would then be uh, the picture that we get in verse 2, where it says the vain rise up early and go to bed late and eat the bread of anxious toil. This is the extreme where God is completely removed from the equation. It's all left on our shoulders entirely. One extreme would be characterized by withdrawal. So we relinquish all responsibility and we just withdraw completely. The other extreme would be characterized as ceaseless toil where we can't sort of, we can't stop working because the moment we think we stop working, everything's going to fall apart. In one extreme, it's all God. In the other extreme, it's all us. And I would guess that if you're anything like me, you've experienced both of those extremes before, or you've at least been tempted to experience those extremes before, where you've maybe been tempted to just raise your hands up and not do anything and just trust that God's going to take care of it. I know that there are sometimes there that my own fear of failure 
It wasn't it, either I sort of masked as religious trust or something like that, but it was my own fear of failure that caused me to let my hands go up in the air and not do anything. Other times fear has caused me to, to have sleepless nights and I've eaten that bread of anxious toil. I have a, a hole in one of my molars to prove it where I was grinding my teeth so much at night that I actually put a hole in my tooth. I think we've all been tempted um, to go down either one of those ro roads before. But Psalm 127 says there's actually another way. A way that's not characterized by withdrawal or ceaseless toil. Instead, it's characterized by faithful trust that manifests itself in a soul that's at rest. God gives rest or sleep to his beloved. And this third way, I think, is the way of partnership, is what we see in Psalm 127. It's not either God works or I work. Those are the sort of the two extremes. Instead, it's this invitation to partnership with God, that we work together. We join him in the work that he is already doing. We work with him. We work alongside of him. He invites us to participate in what he's doing in the world. That's the way of Psalm 127. The work that's described in Psalm 127, the work of home building and protection and provision for a family in a town, God invites us to join him in that. He's not saying that the work of home building and watching over the city are in vain and shouldn't be done. He's saying that those are not our primary responsibility. That's what Psalm 127 is trying to tell us. He bears the primary responsibility for building houses and families and towns and keeping them safe and protected. If we think it's ours, then we'll toil in vain. But if we trust that he's actually working, we trust that he's the primary actor. He's the one who bears primary responsibility. He has been working from the very beginning of creation for these things. To sustain, to build, to protect, to create, to provide for all of creation. This is his work primarily. And from the very beginning of creation, God has been inviting us to participate in that work alongside of him. That's the, the beautiful invitation of Genesis 1, to have dominion, to care, to steward, to partner in the work that God is doing. But it's never us. We're always secondary actors or vice regents to the king. And it's this tension that I think we have to hold on to, that we're not the primary actors, but we do have responsibility. We don't let our hands go up in the air entirely. We're not the ones with ultimate power and control, but we do have agency and we have authority that we are called to exercise in the world. And it's actually in that place of tension, I want to suggest to you, that we experience God's rest. Rest is not the absence of work. It's not the absence of responsibility. Rest actually comes from exercising the responsibility that God has given us in conjunction with him as partners in the work that he is doing in the world. He's given us gifts and talents that Jesus said he doesn't want us to just bury in the sand. He wants us to take those things and to use those things with him in his kingdom. We join him in the work that he is already doing. And when we do so, our souls experience rest, do they not? Rest is not the absence of work. It's joining in what God is already doing, using the gifts and talents that he has given us and partnering with him in the work that he is doing in the world that he's been doing from the beginning of creation. 
that we have been created to partner with him in. And so verses three to five then become an example of God's provision. It's an example of a, a sort of a, a physical reminder of the care and protection and future that God has given us. So in the ancient world, children, especially sons, which is what, verse, uh, which is what Psalm 127 specifically refers to, is a sign of God's provision. It's a sign of the future hope that a family has. So sons would take over their father's business and continue to provide for the family. They would uh, secure the generational lineage of a family. They would be a source of protection from rivals. And we hear all these things. If you read verses three to five, you hear all these things. Arrows, enemies, a heritage. Sons were a symbol of God's protection and provision and, and, and a future hope for his people. But in the book that we're reading, Eugene Peterson did a wonderful thing. He also invited us to recognize that sons and children are not only examples of his provision and care, but they're also perfect examples of the joyful partnership that God calls us into. So he said this, opposed to the strenuous efforts of persons who, in doubt of God's providence and mistrust of human love, seek their own gain by godless struggles. Post this is the gift of children, or not through human effort, but through the miraculous processes of reproduction, which God has created among us. The example couldn't have been better chosen, Peterson said. What do we do to get sons and daughters, he asks. And that's a rhetorical question. He says, very little. The entire miracle of procreation, of procreation and reproduction requires partic participation, but hardly in the form of what we would call work. So you can just imagine the smile on his face as he wrote that line. We did not make these marvelous creatures to walk and talk and grow among us. We participated in the act of love that was provided for us in the structure of God's creation. Isn't that a beautiful line? It's a beautiful reminder of the, the gracious partnership that God invites us into, joining him in acts of love that are part of the structure of, of the universe. They're part of the structure of creation to join him in the good work that he's doing. And kids are this wonderful example of what that looks like. And so not only does this remind us um, of the secondary nature that we play in this partnership, but it also reminds us that people and relationships are at the very center, at the heart of the work that God invites us to do. Meaning that we all have responsibilities to take care of. We all have jobs to do, to do. We all have people to take care of and gifts and talents to exercise. But the purpose of taking care of those responsibilities is always for the people that they benefit. They're not abstracted. So we, have, we can have products that we produce, but it's always for the people who are going to use them. We have laundry that we fold, but it's an act of love and care for the people who are going to wear those clothes. We have systems that we build, but it's always for the people who are going to use them. We teach classes and we convey knowledge for the betterment of people and societies. The goal for Christians in whatever it is that we do is always to benefit the people around us. It's not abstracted from those people. And I just want to, I want you to notice what it says in Isaiah 50 this morning. Verse four began by saying this, the Lord has given me a, the tongue of those who are taught. So this is in reference to the suffering servant in Isaiah. And, and he's speaking, he's saying that um, 
So this is Jesus's words. Here these as Jesus's words. And it says that he's been given the gift of knowledge and eloquence and understanding, the tongue of those who are taught. And he says specifically for this reason, so that I may know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. Isn't that beautiful? The Lord has given me the tongue of those who are taught that I may know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. He has not given Jesus wisdom and understanding so that Jesus can build himself up, bolster his own career, or prove that he is the Messiah. He has been giving, given wisdom and understanding. This is Jesus's understanding of himself so that he can comfort and lift up those around him. It's for the people. James 2 does something similar. We have this wonderful passage where the church is called to um, see all people as equal, which is radical both then and now. But that's not only a call for us to, to look at all people with equality, it's also for a, a call for those who have social capital, who have social status, who are, are of this higher social standing to be willing to let go of those things. Why? To lift others up. Am I willing to relinquish those things to raise others up? Jesus knew that his gifts were given to him for the lifting up of others, for the caring of the weary. James calls us to be willing to let go of any social standing that we might have, to lift others up as well. It's always for other people. And it reminds us that the work that God invites us to join him in is always about people. It's never detached from that. We do things, we participate in systems, but it's always for the people that's going to benefit. Verse 3 of Psalm 127 struck me this week where it says, children are a heritage from the Lord, an inheritance or a legacy. They're a heritage from the Lord. Part of that, of course, is that, that future that children do provide, especially in the ancient world. But I think often when we think about work and the responsibilities that we have and the things that we do, we think about our own legacy as well, do we not? And that's not bad. But one of my mentors recently told me, he's coming to the end of his career, and he said one of the dangers when you come to the end of your career is you can look to build a legacy for yourself, and it becomes something tangible, something that you can build or do to point to. And say, that's what I gave my life to. And he said, really, if I had any advice for me at my age now, he said, any authority, any power, any, anything that you've been given, look to give it away. Your legacy is not that thing that you can point to at the end of your career. It's the people that you empowered along the way. I hear Paul's words in that. where He says, I don't need a letter of recommendation. You are my letter of recommendation. It reminds me that the, the purposes of the work that God calls us to do in partnership with him always have people at the beginning are at the center of it. It's not about our own glory. It's not about building our own brand. It's not about our names being remembered in history books. It's about giving away uh, whatever power and authority that we have, empowering those around us um, that God might remember us, that God might see what we have done in his kingdom and for him and by him in partnership with him, not for ourselves, but for his glory. This is what he desires for us, I believe. 
So here are a couple questions uh, for, for you guys to consider this week, I think. And the first is this, are there any areas in your life where you're feeling like the burden is all yours to carry? Where you're eating that bread of anxious toil? Where are things that you feel called to do, but you're taking it on yourself? You're losing sleep over it. You're stressed over it. What might it look like for you to see that you work in partnership with God? That he goes before you. This is his work primarily. How might you be able to let go of some of those things? Are there any areas in your life where you have completely withdrawn for whatever reasons? And might God be inviting you to... to And then finally, are there any specific people in your life that the Lord is calling you to serve and to lift up and to let go of whatever social capital you might have to raise them up? Those are all things I'd invite you to consider today as we sort of head into a time of prayer now. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.